Glad you guys are with us. And today's message is going to challenge you, I promise you. But maybe, maybe you're the person who says, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you, you got a smile on your face, but I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that good. I'm having a tough time. i got a lot of things falling apart in my life. Well, today is a message for you. Today's message is all about that. It's called When Everything Goes Wrong. What do you do when everything goes wrong? What do you do when nothing is going right? It's just falling apart in my life. That's what happened to a girl named Naomi. Her life was just was crumbling. In fact, I'm going to just tell you her story if I can. Naomi and her husband uh, grew up in Bethlehem, got married, had two boys, moved from Bethlehem when things weren't going well. This is in a time when there wasn't a king in Israel, and so they were ran by the judges. And so that, that sounds okay, but the truth is, is that it was a bit lawless. It, it just wasn't going real well in Israel. So things weren't going well, so they left Bethlehem, where they grew up, and they went to Moab. The problem with that is Moab is not really a good place, and so Moab has a, is a big mess. I'll, I'll talk more about that in a moment, but, but just understand this. A, a bad day in God's house is better than a good day out in the world. Did you hear that? And so they were having a bad season in, in, in Bethlehem, even though that was the place where obviously God blessed that and God blessed Israel, but there were seasons where Israel wasn't doing real well, and so the things weren't going well. So they set off to kind of make it. They set off to like get their lives going and, and restart somewhere else, and so many people have done that in their lives, and, and they set off to do that, and things then fell apart. In fact, Naomi, both her boys married uh, Moabite girls and everything seemed fine. Then, then Naomi's husband died. Now she's a widow, but luckily she has two girls that married, uh, two boys, excuse me, that married good girls. And so she thought, well, I have my family still, so I'm good. Until both of her sons over a 10 year period also died. So now it's three widows. Now it's her and her two daughter in laws. I mean, this is not good. First of all, that's already bad, anyways. That's, that's bad in any culture, but in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East, it's way worse because you can't even own property unless you own it through a male, which I know sounds jacked up, and I agree it is. But that's the culture they lived in. So they, they, the only way that she could retain property, and that she did even when she was a widow, is because her sons are still alive. So her sons could say, no, uh, her property's ours. And so we just let her live in her house, but it's technically ours. And so we get to keep it in the family. That's how you did it. And so that, that, that's how that worked. And so basically when her sons died, all three of these women, none of them had kids. There was no male heir. And so they, they couldn't even keep the property. So what are your choices? Your choices are basically um, to be a beggar, um, to go you know, back home somewhere and help, hope someone will let you live with them or probably to, to go into prostitution. These are your options. These are bad options. And, so, and, and obviously, the Bible tells us how it was. It doesn't say it approved of it. But that's the culture that they happen to be in. So they just had horrible options. What do you do? And not, not to mention, on top of that, Moab is a terrible place to live. It is a really rough area. And so more about Moab in a minute, but let's pick up in scripture. Let's see what happens now. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 11. So here's what happens. Basically, uh, she says, hey, I hear good things are happening in, in Bethlehem, that, that, that they actually have crops because there was a famine going on, made everything worse. She said, I heard that in Israel, especially in Bethlehem, they have good crops right now. God's blessing Bethlehem again. So I'm going to go back home and I'll take the girls with me, take my, both my, my daughter-in-laws with me. So they start on this journey and she, she stops and she realizes, she turns to these girls and she's like, you guys have been awesome. You're all so supportive of me. I really appreciate you helping me during this tough time. But I realize you're having a tough time. You've also lost your husbands. And she said, but you know what? You're both young. If you'll go back to your homes, you can probably remarry. 
And so, I mean, you're both young, you're pretty, this is not going to be a problem for you. Just, just go back home and, 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 and live with your mom and your dad. And I know you don't want to do that, I understand that, but you'll end up getting married, it'll be fine. So one of, her, one of the daughter-in-law takes her up on the offer, her name was Orpah, and the other one, Ruth, says, no, 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 I'm sticking with you. So let's pick up in the scripture, here's what happens. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung, uh, clung tightly to Naomi. So Orpah had to leave because, you know, she had to go start her own show and have her own network called The Own Network eventually. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, really bad joke. But anyways, no. So Orpah went back home, okay? And so, but Ruth said, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving you. I, I'm staying with you. In fact, Ruth then said something that is such a famous line, I use it when I do marriage ceremonies. It's such a powerful uh, display of love and devotion to someone that even though <laughs> she wasn't married to her mother-in-law, obviously, it was still such a powerful line. This is what she said. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So she didn't try to talk her out. She's like, okay, thank you. Then let's go back to Jerusalem together. Let's go back to Bethlehem more in particular together. And that's exactly what they did. So at this point, um, you know, her life has fallen apart. She has problem on top of problem. She loses her husband. She loses both her boys. Um, she's destitute. They don't have any finances at this point. She's like, let's just go back to Bethlehem and hope for the best. And so Orpah goes back to her home, to her childhood home. But Ruth says, no, I'm staying with you at this point. So now they go back to Bethlehem. Now let's pick up in scripture about that. Let me, let me just, first of all, tell you something that you have to understand something. When I say they went to Moab, you think, oh, it's just another city, right? But going to Moab wasn't just going to Moab. It was a horrible place to live. This is like you and your family uprooting your life from America, moving to Baghdad, and then complaining that things fall apart. You'd be like, I don't know why everything fell apart. We're just trying to live in a nice little neighborhood here in Baghdad. They'd be like, dude, you're in Baghdad. I can tell you why it fell apart. Because this is a war zone. This is not where you want to live. Why did you move here? You have to understand, Moab was a horrible place to go. This is a devastating town. In fact, God was even against Moab. But let me show you the scripture. It says in Psalm 60, verse 8, Moab's a scrub bucket. I mopped the floor with Moab. What? Like God even said, why would God say that about Moab? Well, I thought God created everybody. Why would he speak so evil of the Moabites? He wasn't speaking evil of the Moabites because, because he just chose not to like them. This isn't God being some form of a racial, you know, racist saying, I don't like these people. No, it's because the Moabs were horrible people. This is, for someone to say, I think it's wrong that Moab you know, was so disliked. And if you really want to study the scriptures, by the way, did you know that when the Israelites came into the Canaanite, the, the, the land of Canaan, which is also known as the promised land, that they mur murdered everyone? Did you know that? Everywhere they went, they said, oh, they took over, the, they destroyed the Moabs. That means they killed them. And you may say, well, I thought God was a God of love, and I thought he was a God that believed in life. Why would he kill the Moabites? I'll tell you why. The same reason we killed the Nazis. Because the Nazis were bloodthirsty psychopaths that killed everyone they didn't like. So Americas, and Americans, as well as others, the Allies, went in and they killed the Nazis. This is just as justified as us killing the ISIS. By killing them, we stop more murder. Does that make sense? So God is for life. And I don't know if you know this, but the Moabites had a false god that they worshiped called Kamash. Let me show you a picture of Kamash. This is what Kamash looked like. And this is where they would do their regular daily worship of bringing a baby to be killed in devotion to Kamash. They killed babies 
daily because they thought that their God wanted death. So they would murder children. It's unbelievable. It's disgusting. And this is exactly what was going on uh, here. And I just want to stop and just point something out because I, I can't go past this point. It is clear in Scripture that God is a life God. He created life, and he wants us to defend life and protect life from conception until natural death in Scripture. Psalms 139 says, I knew you in your mother's womb. That is not just, a, 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 that's not just tissue that's in a womb. That is a baby that God created that is to be protected. Some of you may be really bothered by that, and you may say, Pastor, quit being political. I'm not being political. This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue, and if you take a child's life before they're born or after they're born, according to God's word, it's called murder, and God says, thou shalt not kill. You have to understand that this is something that God does not want us to do. He is against any kind of murder. He's also against us taking life uh, at the end of life, too. In, in other words, we should die of natural causes. We should fight for life to the very end. And then if God takes him, God takes him. But that's God's decision, not our decision. Does that make sense? So I just want to encourage you that God wants us to protect life. Having said that, there are times that there is war. But why do we go to war? We go to war to protect life. I know this sounds crazy, but we take life sometimes to protect life. And so this is why we had to stop ISIS, why we had to stop the Nazis. And so sometimes that's necessary. But it's always to protect life. Now, let me jump back in if I can. I want to jump back, and I know some of you are bothered by that. Some of you are like, that's not the way I was raised, Pastor. You really bothered me. More on that in a little bit, okay? So stay with me. Please stay with me. You said you want to be disciples, right? You say you want to hear God's word. This is what God's word says. And so last time I was told I was supposed to preach the truth, and so I'm trying to preach truth whether you like it or not. This is the truth of God's word. So let me go back for a moment to Naomi. So Naomi is in Jerusalem. She, excuse me, I keep saying Jerusalem. She's in Bethlehem, okay, which is a suburb of Jerusalem. She's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where God was blessing it. I mean, this is literally God's people, and she's there, and things are going bad, so she leaves. And so she begins to wander off, and she ends up all the way in Moab. So she turns her back on God, God's people, and she goes all the way to Moab where it's jacked up, messed up, people doing all kinds of wrong, crazy things, worshiping false gods. She gets all the way there, and she turns around, and she's like, God, you seem so far away to me. Who do you think moved, Naomi? Who do you think moved? Well, I just don't see God the same way I used to. I just feel like he's just out to get me and he doesn't love me and it's so difficult. No, that's your own choices. You chose to walk away, turn your back on God, walk all the way away from him. And now that he seems so distant, you're complaining to him. Who do you think moved, Naomi? So we can't complain about God being a harsh God and difficult. And I can't believe this happened. Did you not think that things would go bad in Moab? You're in the wrong spot. And so I want to challenge you with this to ask the question, are we willing to recognize that we make our own decisions which lead oftentimes to wrong things? Now, I know some of you are like, but Pastor, what happened to me was not my choice. Maybe it wasn't your choice, but there may have been decisions you made to move in a certain direction that led to bad choices. Does that make sense? And so what does this mean? Number one, would you write this down? When everything goes wrong, number one, the wrong direction will always lead to the wrong destination. So the moment you started leaving Bethlehem, the moment you turned your back on God's destination for you, the moment you started heading to Moab, of course it's going to go bad. Does that make sense? Some of you right now are thinking, well, but I mean, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong just because I'm 
going in sort of the wrong direction. I mean, you know, I just, I just have a little bit of debt. It's not a big deal. Yeah, but that's taking one step in the wrong direction. You go, like, well, just a little more debt won't be a big deal. And you, and you keep taking on that consumer debt. But if you keep going in that direction, eventually you get to a point where you can't return. You can't get back. And you're like, I have so much debt, I can't pay my bills. I know this is why when you first take the step in the wrong direction, it's time to stop there and make some changes. You say, well, I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong just kind of hanging out with this person that doesn't believe in God, doesn't honor God with their life. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, you may not be technically doing wrong. You may say, well, I mean, I went to that place with them. I went to that club. I went to that destination. I went to that party, but I wasn't doing anything wrong. They were, but I wasn't. Yeah, but you started going in the wrong direction. Eventually, you're going to do something you'll regret, and you'll end up being somewhere, and you think, how did this happen? It happened because you started moving away from wisdom. You started moving away from God's word, and if you do that, you'll always go further out of God's will than you ever thought if you start going in the wrong direction. Are you with me? We got to turn around and get back towards God. Because the wrong direction always leads you to the wrong destination. Please do not go to God's scrub bucket. Don't go to the place where he wipes the floor with you. He says, you don't want to go there. It's not good. I wiped the dust off my feet in that location. You do not want to end up there. Do not park your life in the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong things. Ruth chapter 1 says this. This is very important. I want, to, I want to fast forward. It says, the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. Mara means to be bitter. Some of you are bitter. Some of you are bitter because of what's happened to you, because of the direction that your life has taken. But Naomi, I know you're, you're bitter, but please don't pretend that you didn't have some choices that led to this. Let's not pretend you didn't intentionally go to Moab, where things typically go bad. What did you think was going to happen when you found the person you're going to date at a club? How did you think that was going to work out when you found them at a party? How did you think it was going to work out when you thought, I mean, they're cool and I like hanging out with them. I mean, I know they do weed a lot, but, you know, I'm just going to be their friend. How did you think that was going to end? How did you think that was going to go? How do you think it was going to go when you think, oh, I'll just hang out with this group of people at my work, and I know they talk bad about the boss, but I'll just hang out with them. I don't necessarily talk bad about the boss. So how, do you think you, how do you think you're going to get pegged in the company? How do you think it's going to go? you got to start thinking about this is making a decision. Everything you do is a choice, and your choices determine your destiny. So you got to start thinking about those choices now. So then they said, let's start moving back towards Bethlehem. But she gets back to Bethlehem, and they say, oh, Naomi, gosh, is that you? I can't believe it. I wonder if they were saying, oh, wow, I can't believe it. that's you because you're older, because she was older at this point. Or I wonder if it's that because she wasn't just older, she was weathered. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen someone weathered? You're like, ooh, the last 20 years have not been good to you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You can see it on their face. And now I'm not making fun of you. I'm, I'm saying maybe you feel weathered. Feel like I've been through some stuff since I've been gone from Bethlehem. I'm back and like, Naomi, hey, hey, is that, is that you, Naomi? Wow. And so, right, she showed up. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Oh, she's blaming God. I went away full. And now I'm empty. Thanks, God. Thanks a lot. Maybe you've been there. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth. By the way, Naomi means the pleasant one. 
So when she left, she was pleasant. When she comes back, it doesn't say she was bitter. It says, see, see, Mara doesn't mean bitter. It means to be bitter. Bitterness is a choice. You can choose not to be bitter. See, it wasn't bitter. It was a choice to be bitter. We've all been through some stuff. The question is, are you going to be bitter over it? We've all been betrayed by somebody. Are you going to be bitter over it? We've all been hurt. Are you going to be, you know, you, you say, well, you understand, I've been through a divorce. You don't think other people have been through divorces? And some people got a smile on their face still, and some people stay around bitter. You got to make a decision. It happens. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making a light of it. I'm not making a light of what happened to you. You say, well, you don't understand, I was abused. I, I, I get that, that if you were abused, that, that you have very good reason to be angry. But even if you have good reason, I don't recommend it. Because when you do that, it'll sour your future, not only your past. So it's a choice. We have to just make a decision. God, you got to help me work through this. I need to get, get past this. So I want to challenge you with this to not stay in that bitterness. Maybe, maybe you've been through job loss, divorce. Maybe 2020 was really rough on you and your, and your business and your family. You know, Don't be bitter over it. You know, what, what is it that, that you're still mad about? Maybe you're, notice this, she's bitter, but she's back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. This means it's the house that housed the bread of life, Jesus himself. So you may be back in God's house and you can still be bitter. Because the reason why people are still bitter in their God's house, because they're in God's house, but they're not following God's principles. And that means you'll be in God's house doing this. Mm-hmm. What's he got to say today? <laughs> this better be good. You know, I need to get the lunch. You better hurry up. In other words, you're not open to God. So you can be in the right place with the wrong attitude. You can be in the right place with the wrong principles. You can be in the right place and not be living in wisdom. So I want to challenge you, stay in God's house. Be here a while. Don't just get up and leave. God has some things he wants to do in your life. But it's going to take some time. In fact, I want to show you something about time. It says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Why would they mention that? Why, why, why would it say that? I think this is really powerful. It says, hey, you, just because you're back in Bethlehem doesn't mean you've seen a full harvest yet in your life. And so I got some good news for you. No matter how difficult your last season, there is always a new season, which means a new harvest. So maybe your life has not turned out well at this point. Let me ask you something. Last, last season, what, what seeds did you plant? You tell me what seeds you planted, and I'll tell you what you harvested. If, you, if, you're, if the seeds you put in the ground are dishonest, you're going to have a harvest of deception. If the seeds you put in the ground are unrighteous, you're going to have a harvest of, of evil in your life, bad things happening. If, you, if the seeds you put in the ground are good, then you'll have good things happening. You just tell me what you planted, I'll tell you what you, what you, what you sowed, you tell me, I'll tell you what you reaped. Bottom line is that. You're not going to plant cotton and end up with barley. You don't plant barley and end up with, with apples. You, you don't plant apples and end up with olives. What you plant is what you get. So if you're not sowing seeds of righteousness, don't expect God to bless your life. And don't act bitter about it. You didn't plant the right seeds. Not my fault. God's like, you went to Moab. What do you think is going to happen to Moab? Things don't go well there, Naomi. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to say you're kind of shaking your fist to God, but you chose to go to Moab. So God can turn your life around when you start to plant new seeds, but it takes a season. Some of you are like, oh, I've been coming here for two weeks. I don't know why God didn't change my life yet. <laughs> it hasn't been a season. It takes a while. It's not an overnight thing. And so just because just you showed up, you tuned in online for the first time today, doesn't mean your life is going to totally change in one sermon. It's going to take a process. It takes a season for your life to change. Harvest takes time. Don't be impatient. So how long does a harvest take? Well, let me tell you right now, a harvest takes a while. A barley harvest takes about 60 days. You've got some farmers that come to our church. I did some research. Corn harvest takes 60 to 120 days from planting 
to reaping. It takes a while. You know, cotton harvest takes 160 days. An apple harvest takes 100 to 200 days. A grapevine harvest takes three years. Grapes. That's a long harvest. You know, an olive tree, you have to plant an olive tree, and you don't see olives for five years. In fact, you'll get the first You'll get the first harvest in five years, but you don't get a consistent harvest until 65 years into that being planted. But at 65 years, for the next 200 years, you have a consistent harvest. Did you know that? You know, one of the wealthiest harvests you can have is olives. Did you know that? It's the number one export of Israel is olives. And so it's a, it's a precious harvest, but it takes a long time. You need to become old in the Lord to see some consistency in your life. The truth is, is that we, it's going to take time to grow in your faith. Let me, let me tell you something else. Number three, a distorted view of God always leads to a distorted view of life. See, because you may be back in God's house, but you still have a distorted view of God. Oh, God's out to get me. He's out to crush me. He's out to judge me. I'm like, that, whoa, that means you've been living hard, and so you've made some hard choices, you've made some foolish choices, and you've reaped the consequences of those foolish choices, and now you're blaming God on that. God, God's not hard. God's not mean. It's just that you stepped out from underneath God's authority and you got whipped up by, you got beat up by the world and now you're shaking your fist to God. God's not hard. The world's hard. If you'll come back under God's uh, umbrella, come back under his authority, you'll find he forgives you. He loves you. Man, I was talking earlier about life. Maybe you had an abortion. I got good news for you. God forgives you. I'm not a fool. I know I talk about subject like that. That some of you are like really I ruffled your feathers, but maybe you've you've had to kind of tell you right. I have a friend that, that that him and his wife, when they were dating, they made a mistake and made a double mistake and, and, and aborted their, their child. A, a child, by the way, is not a mistake. A child's a gift from God. So just because it wasn't your timing doesn't mean that's not God's child. And they aborted the child, and he said he, he still struggles with guilt to this day. Twenty years later. That's what people don't talk about with that. Is that I'm trying to protect you not just a child. It's both of you. And, and, and he tells me, you know what, I've come to terms with it. And this is what he told me. He said, I pray and I, and I know God's forgiven me. And so sometimes when I'm praying, I say, God, please tell my first child hello. That I'm sorry and I love them. And I know they're with you. That's the proper perspective. Yes, God forgives you. Let's not repeat that though. Let's not be a society that says murder's okay. Does that make sense? And so, and by the way, some of you are really upset by this, but we just talked about a harvest takes time, right? If you're going to walk with God, you've got you to develop in your faith. It's going to take some time for that to develop. It's going to take some time to grow in your faith. And some of you got upset when I talked about that. You're like, Pastor Bill, you're talking about life, and I thought this message is about hard times, and why are you bringing this subject up? Because the Word brought it up, and when the Word brings it up, I talk about it. But I want you to understand something. If you're that bothered, if you're that bothered, you understand that Ruth was a Moabite. She was not an Israelite. She was a Moabite. She was raised in a culture that this is what you did. It was normal for babies to die. That's what they did. So she had to come out of that. When she said to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go. Your people are my people, and your God is my God. What she was saying was, I reject what I was taught. It was not right, and I'm going to step into this. Let me tell you something. If you're having a hard time with what I just preached, then you're still sucking on milk and not having meat yet. Where are the real disciples? You're going to grow in your faith? You can let me challenge your faith? You let me change? Because you got to let God's word change you. Where are the real disciples in this house? Let's stand for truth. Let's stand for what's right. Let's do the right thing. Are we going to be convenient Christians or right-thinking Christians? you got to do what's right even when it's not convenient, even when it's not easy, even when it's not socially acceptable. I don't care about your vote. I care about your faith. Follow the Lord's word. 
Let's stick to God's truth. It matters that we follow God's word. Let's grow up in our faith. Why did I tell you this? Here's why I tell you this. Because when, when, when Naomi spoke of God, she didn't just say God. She gives us some great insight that she did have some faith that she remembered as a little girl that she came back to. And here's how I know that. Because she didn't say God did this to me. She said the Almighty did this to me. Why would you say the Almighty? The Almighty is a, is a word that everyone would know in Israel. And she remembered that from a little girl. The Almighty means El Shaddai. And El Shaddai literally means God is ample, adequate, and enough. What she was saying was, I feel like God has caused me pain. I feel like he's allowed my life to hit some hard times, but I know he's still the Almighty. He's enough. Let me talk to someone right now who feels like they're missing what she was missing. She says, I'm missing a man in my life. I'm missing my husband, and I can only imagine losing a spouse. I don't want to lose a spouse. I have plenty of people in our church that have lost spouse. I've seen the loss on your face. But let me just say this. Your God is enough. Singles, listen to me. I want to tell you something right now. If you are still looking for someone, you need to give up on that because your God is enough. And until God is enough, you won't be ready for someone that God brings in your life because you're trying to make them into your Jesus when Jesus is your Jesus. He's got to be enough for you. And when he's enough for you and you find wholeness and completeness in who he says you are and who he says you can be, when you become whole in him, then a whole person should date another whole person, not a half person who's saying, I need someone to fill me and tell me how significant I am. Because if you're finding someone and you're trying to say, please fulfill me, please fulfill me, and they're doing the same thing, please fulfill me, that will not work. You will both find yourself empty and frustrated with each other. You have to find your completeness in who God says you are. He is enough for you. And maybe that's exactly why God's allowed you to go through some things because you're trying to replace him with something. Maybe God has allowed you not to see the success that you want in the business world. God has not allowed you to have that kind of an income or that kind of career yet because God's saying, am I enough? Or are you going to try to replace me with money? Am I enough? Or are you going to try to replace me with a relationship? Am I enough? You can try to replace me with prestige with clout. Am I enough or do you just have to have this many likes on your Facebook or your Instagram? Do we have to have this much of a following or am I enough? Because the truth is, is we're trying to replace God with this world and it won't work. It will leave you broken. You'll end up a Moab broken. It's time to turn your back on Moab and walk back to God instead of turning your back on God and walking back to Moab. We got to get, get a direction going in the right way. Do you understand? But it's going to take time. Time is what you need. No one likes to hear this, but here's the truth. You will not understand God in the walk he has for you until you walk with him for a while. It's not an overnight thing. It's going to take time for God to rebuild you. Stay faithful. I want to challenge you. Why don't you just come to God's house every week for the next 60 days? Just, just be here every week. Just don't miss. Just, I'm just going to prioritize God's house. If you do that, you're going to look up two months from now, and your friends and your family are going to be like, you're a different person. Because you're in God's house. Just being in his presence changes you. Just being here. He, he's, he'll knock off the Mara in you. He'll remove the bitterness. But it takes time for that process to happen. I want to fast forward to Naomi's life. Here's what happens in the future. We're going to talk about this in two weeks in great detail. But here's what happens. Naomi helps Ruth uh, get connected with a guy named Boaz. We're going to unpack that in two weeks after Mother's Day. Don't miss that part of the series. But I want to show you why that's significant in Naomi's life. Check out Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. 
When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the God who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, David? King David. So I want to show you something real quick. I want to go back, back screen. I want to show you the lineage from this moment forward. This is the lineage from Boaz and Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, uh, and, uh, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse's the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon. Solomon to Rehoboam, uh, to, to Abijah, to Asa, to Jehoshaphat. It goes all the way through. This is entirely just a thousand-year lineage. Look, we go all the way down here. Elihud, Elihud was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer was the father of Methan. And then check out the next page. Check this out. After Methan, please click screens. Methan was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph. Joseph was the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Because you stayed faithful, Naomi, we have a Savior because you stayed faithful. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you will stay faithful in your bitter years, if you will stay faithful when things don't make sense, God is doing something generational in your life. You got to see, look, when you obey God, it's not just about you anymore. It's about the next generation, a generation after that, a generation after that. Please do not be the weak link in what God's trying to do through history. You need to stay faithful to God in your season. God has a purpose for you with what you're going through. Stay faithful. And if you'll do that, number four, here's what will happen. It may take longer than you think, but God will bring you from bitterness to healing to redemption. Let me tell you something. I don't know what you're going through, but I want to tell you this. God's going to turn around. You've already started a new season, but you can start planting. A new season's coming. Have you, have you figured it out? It's already getting hot, isn't it? Why? Because winter's over. Spring is here. Now we're going into summer. And guess what's going to happen after summer? It's going to come fall. And then what's going to happen after fall? Going to go winter. No one's going to have spring. What? There's always a new season. Anytime you want your life to change, start planting new seeds in the new season. If you want, ne- you say, I'm broke. How about next year? Because of what you do now, you're not broke anymore. Because you start doing what? Saving, investing, tithing. And guess what? Then a year from now, you're no longer broke. If you keep doing that three seasons from now, <laughs> you take what the harvest is a year from now and you reinvest and you resave, and you tithe on that too, and guess what? God creates a larger harvest, and you reinvest, and guess what? God creates a larger harvest. You see where I'm going here? But you have to jump into the season you're in and start being faithful, and until you are faithful for a season, you will not see the results you want. Singles, quit dating someone, and after two weeks saying, this is the one. You haven't been through any seasons. You don't know if this, this person is legit in their faith. How many times have you broke up with someone and the next thing you know, they're out partying well, two days later. You're like, oh, clearly they were just doing the whole God thing for you. You don't know about their faith until they've gone through seasons without you. So don't, don't tell me, oh, they're walking with Jesus now. Congratulations. You've been walking with God for four weeks. Good job. We don't really know until there's been seasons. You tell me someone who, yeah, they may have had a past, but it's been two years since they've done that. It's been five years since they've done it. Now they're walking with God. They've got seasons of faithfulness. Jump on that train. Don't, 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 don't risk it. Well, I mean, I think their faith is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, they, they, they're kind of new at this. No, no, no. Stay away from that. You already did that. How'd that work out? Wait. 
wait, be patient. In fact, in two weeks, we're unpacking this whole thing. How do you find your Boaz? Don't miss it. Do not miss two weeks from now. You do not want to miss that. So I want to challenge you to be here for that. But even if you say, well, I'm, I'm not single, I promise you, you have a Boaz somewhere in, in your future, and it may, maybe your Boaz is not the man. Maybe it's the, it's the harvest he had. You say, I, I want Boaz's harvest in business, in my career, in my spirituality, in my faith. Don't miss it. But listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Some of you have been walking with God, and you'll say this. Oh, I've been walking with God for 15 years. My life is still a mess. No, no, no. You've repeated the first year of your faith 15 times. Quit living on milk when God's got meat for you. Until you can take the harder teaching. Some of you are still upset with, about what, something I said earlier. You know what? I don't regret it at all. You can be offended as you want. It's the truth. Either you start taking meat in or you're going to be still sucking on milk. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Your faith has got to grow, which means your opinions have to change and shift to God's word. I don't care how you were raised. We have to shift to God's truth. If you want to be a real disciple, then stay faithful through the hard teachings, through the difficult seasons. If you'll do that, God will change your life. But it takes time. It's not overnight. It takes a while. I want to encourage you. So I've been being faithful. and I mean, I even gave to the offering, Pastor, and my life is still. Thank you. That's awesome. Stay faithful. Stay, stay faithful. There's going to be lean seasons. Just stay faithful. You know what? We had our offering. Thank you for giving, by the way. Many of you gave. I want to say thank you. I want to give you a little report on that. Thank you. Many of you were faithful. I'm grateful for that. We did not raise what we thought we'd raise. You know, I'm not upset. You know why? Because you were faithful. I don't determine the outcome of an offering. We determine our faithfulness to God, and he blesses with what he wants to bless it with. We have all that we need to do what God's called us to do right now. So we're going to be faithful. Because of your faithfulness, last week you brought in $800,000. That's a massive amount. Thank you. Thank you. And we are going to spend it proportionately based upon what, was, what came in and be faithful with it. So thank you for that. Many of our goals will happen. Some will wait another year or two. That's okay. I'm not upset. I am thankful to be your pastor. And I'm thankful for God's goodness because I don't want to make light of your sacrifice. Thank you. But let me ask you this question. Did you sacrifice? Did you? That's my only challenge for you. The only number I was looking at wasn't how much came in. It was how many people gave. Does that make sense? So if you gave, thank you. If you didn't give, my question is, are you in? You say, well, I don't have much to give. I mean, I could, if, I, if I were to give, I could give last week because all I could probably give is like $100. Okay, go ahead. It's not about the number. In fact, the only amount of money Jesus ever pointed out in an offering was the widow who gave two pennies. It's not about the amount. Is are you in? It's about... God, I may not have much, but what I have is yours. That's what it is to be a disciple. I'm in. I'm going to do something. That's what I want to challenge you with. It's not too late. You can still jump in. Just be faithful. I'm not asking for an amount of money. You can give whatever you want. Just do something for God. That's all I ask. Let me ask you this. As we look at Naomi, who was bitter, she was mad. She was not happy. You can see it on her face. Naomi had to make a decision. Just because I walked back in God's house doesn't mean I'm done. So God, I'm back. I'm back in Bethlehem. But now, Lord, I need you to work on me. It's okay to admit you need to be worked on. We all do. I got some news for you. I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected. How about you? 
Will you let God change you? Will you let God work on you? Will, will you let God change your perspectives? Will you let God shift you? This has been a challenging message, has it not? It's supposed to be. In God's house, we shift, we change. I think the Bible calls it being transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, which means what? Your attitudes, your thoughts, your perspectives. Renew my mind. Make it match your word, God. And if I really want to die on this hill of no, but this is the way I believe, and I know the Bible says this, but I'm good, then you're not going to grow in your faith. You have to be willing to let your mind shift to God's word. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed, and we just take a moment to pray. I know I've touched some hot topics today. I know I probably pushed you. And my prayer is that you hear this with a good heart. I'm glad I did. Why? Because God's word pushes me every time I read it. I'm still growing. I'm not done. Thank God I'm not done. There's a lot of areas of my life God needs to work on me. How about you? Can we admit that we need God to work on us? If today you say, Pastor, there's some things you said today that I needed to hear. And honestly, I need to shift to some meat, not just milk. I need to grow in my faith. If there's an area that God is putting on your heart that you need to make some serious changes in today, would you lift your hand high to God and say, God, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to adjust my life to your word. I'm not asking your word to adjust to my life. I will adjust my life to your word. If that's you, lift your hand high. Thank you. Our hands going up all across our campuses. Those who are watching online, thank you. We see your hands. Thank you. If you're saying, I'm willing to let it be uncomfortable. I'm willing to let it challenge me. I'm willing to do the hard things of God's word. Thank you for that, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Our, our church is not playing religion. We're not playing church here, guys. We're trying to really be followers of Jesus, full on. And it's going to challenge you to your core. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never given your life to Jesus, that's what we're all about here, being true disciples of Christ. Jesus died for your sin and he rose again. Now he waits for you to receive him. You can pray this prayer. You can receive Christ right now. Pray, pray this prayer with me. Just say it out loud. Across all of our campuses, those who are watching online, just say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just prayed to receive Christ, would you just lift your hand high? No one's looking around. The only person looking is the campus pastors. That's it. Would you just lift your hand high if you just prayed to receive Christ? Just hold it high. Thank you. Thank you. We see those hands. Thank you. Their hands going up all across our campuses. If you're watching online right now, just put it in the chat. Say, my hand is raised. Just my hand is raised. Just, just say, my hand's raised. Just let us know. Would you do that? If you're on churchunlimited.com platform, you can click hand raised. Just click it. Would you do that? Just lift your hand high. If you just prayed to receive Christ, you're not alone. Thank you. Their hands went up all across our campuses right now. Praise God. All across online. Thank you. Many people are making decisions to follow Jesus today. Thank you. Keep your hand high. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you for that. Young and old, thank you. Praise God. Wow, amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I see whole families' hands raised. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Who else? Who else received Christ right now? Thank you. Put your hand down. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want to challenge you right now during this prayer time, and we're going to close. Be open. Do not say you're a disciple if you're not open to his truth, changing your perspectives. Be open to the truth. Please hear me loud and clear during this prayer time. Do not call yourself a disciple if you are not willing to be challenged. God, thank you that your word challenges me to re-examine what truth is. Doesn't matter how I was raised. Ruth was raised as a Moabite. She said, 
Heck with that. That hasn't worked. But when I was married to Naomi's son and I saw how God's people are, I want that. So she shifted. She changed. And God blessed her because of that. It's time to grow up. It's time to shift out of child thinking into spiritual adult thinking. I want to follow your word even when it's tough. Thank you, God, for your truth. I will live this out. I will let you change me from the inside out. Thank you, God, for your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.